I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Ro, host of The Queen Pod. This app is another special on the pre Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Era. And just for a little context, I thought I should explain that around the time we recorded our Smile episode, we were talking about whether we could ask Tim Staffel, who's the lead singer of Brian and Rogers' pre-Queen band Smile, to come on and have a chat with us. Uh, Simon had never interviewed Tim before, but he reached out, and to our amazement and delight, Tim actually said yes. Um, our original intent was to cut the interview into the existing Smile episode, but we had such a brilliant time with Tim that we didn't want to cut it down so here it is in full uh, now please note we are recording these podcasts remotely so the sound is not always ideal we have cleaned it up as best as we can but it can be a little bit variable do be patient with us on that front and we really hope you enjoy listening to this one as much as we enjoyed uh, doing it it was uh, really fun enjoy Welcome to a special episode of the Queen Pod uh, with this time a group of five wonderful human beings. Very exciting. Um, uh, so we'll say a quick hello to... Hello, Suze. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to have me on here. <laughs> You're very welcome, Miss Kempner. Uh, and Mr. John Robbins, of course. Hello to you. Hello to everyone. Uh, and one Mr. Simon Lupton's here. Hello, hello. This is very exciting, isn't it? It is exciting because our, our, our extra member for this podcast is the legend that is Mr. Tim Staffel. Hello, Tim. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Lead singer with smile. I'm very well indeed, actually, in the circumstances. It is difficult. We find yeah. ourselves in. Yeah, we're all uh, zooming together on 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 lockdown, so. Uh, uh, but it's kind of nice to see you've got a beautiful setup there. Is that your little recording space behind? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, this is where it all happens. 
this is just a corner of my my sitting room. Um, ah, okay. But, yeah, you know, but uh, it's it's kind of comfortable. You know, I could see yeah. the, the just the very top of a guitar poking out from behind your shoulder, and it, it would behoove me to ask you what that instrument is for all our guitar geeks. It's a seventy-two reissued Telecaster Thin Line with uh, split humbuckers. Um, I mean, that sounds. That's it, really. There's, there's nothing. It. It's not particularly special, but it is a very nice one. No. I have to ask Tim, and please believe me, I didn't expect this was going to be the first question I asked you. But where <laughs> did you get? Where did you get that portable soundproofing wall from? Because I've been, I was wondering. <laughs> I've been creating that from duvets for the past three months. Let, let me tell you what I did was, I I went online. I can I can send Simon the link later, and I bought a conventional louvered room divider. If you know the kind, I mean, it's a zigzag. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. a zigzag room divider. Then what I did was remove the hinge on the center one and and put it on the other side so that the thing instead of being limited to being a zigzag that you can use it now as a, um, as, a as a semicircle then i bought some soundproofing foam cut to size which i velcroed all the way around on the edges uh and just stuck it up there and it does it deadens this little corner beautifully Right. It's it's such a simple solution to a problem which most presenters, podcasters, comedians, musicians are using kind of bits of bobs of their own house and mattresses and dressing <laughs> gowns to do. Yeah, it's a, it cost. Uh, to be honest with you, I think it cost probably all in all. I think the um, the the the, the louvered room divider was about eighty quid, and I think the um, the, the soundproofing foam is about forty quid. Something amazing like, and then a go. bit of velcro and a bit of uh, um a bit of uh, energy i mean if i'm honest you, you you did lose me at move the hinge though that's already more <laughs> effort that i'm willing to so i'm just going to stick this duvet that i've stuck behind me that'll do <laughs> I, i'm i'm worried that we've now peaked in this podcast and where do we go from here? <laughs> Excellent. um oh it's so lovely for you to join us tim uh we, we, we've been doing um we did a, a little episode on, on Smile and uh, kind of just got really into it and we were really enjoying it. And at the end of it, we were like, wouldn't it be lovely to talk to Tim about some of this stuff? But before we do that, we just thought uh, we'd, we'd ask what you're up to at the moment because, um, you know, there was obviously a period where it could be said you sort of slightly moved away from music and then more recently, you know, you've, you've come back in into music we're just wondering there's there's rumors of a, an album called zero margin that may be in the offing and we're wondering uh, yeah what are you up to at the moment uh, uh, uh you're you're almost right um zero margin was a um just to just, just to take that point up zero margin is a working title it might be margins um i've got 12 tracks ready which i've been recording pretty good demos here for the last well during lockdown but i do want to to go i do want to go into the studio and do that which will mean going to barcelona to because my son is my drummer and and ah. has been for all of my albums so far mm. and uh, and doing the backing tracks in barcelona and then bringing them back to london in fact we would have been in the middle of it now if it hadn't have been for this virus so right, um, right. so that's the general plan um 
uh, I did move away. I no doubt you're aware of the Amigo and the Too Late albums. Very. Which are available on my band camp. Um, together with it, just this summer, I've, I've put up everything that I ever recorded onto my band camp. And that includes um, most of the stuff that it probably isn't worth putting onto a CD is there for download. So, <laughs> Brilliant. you know, please, I'm, I'm just a poor pensioner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you've got all of the uh, Morgan stuff on there as well. And um... uh, Well, I haven't, uh, clearly, I haven't been able to um, include the, 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 the Morgan stuff on my own, in my own revenue stream, if you'll we'll, pardon the dreadful description. Because the copyright is owned elsewhere. But I, everything else that I ever did, including the Humpy Bong single, which is, is there, is available there, okay. and virtually everything else that I've ever recorded over that period of time, when, when technically speaking, I was, music was my second career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about that first career a bit later, <laughs> but the second <laughs> career, stick on that for a minute. Uh, you, you, you've been working with like Paul Stewart, you had Brian May back with you on the... Um, yeah. On the Amigo album. I love that version of Doing All Right, by the way. Oh, do you? I um, absolutely love it. I oh, think I, it's gorgeous. Absolutely I, gorgeous. I can't tell you how good, how good that makes me feel because, you know, you, you, you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, have an, I'll do it differently. I'll have, mm. a diff- I'll have a different go at it. See how it <laughs> works as a kind of a, a, a rolling country type number. And yeah. to say you liked it is... Yeah. Where will I be this time tomorrow? Jumped in joy or sinking in sorrow? Well, anyway, I should be doing alright. Doing difficult not to play the whole thing oh, it's so lovely interestingly if you don't mind me just um interjecting here you you cued it up on the second verse where which is me singing if you'd have cued it on the first verse you'd have heard brian singing the Can sorry? Brian, <laughs> sings the, brian sings the first verse on that version and it and it it, it was the, it, it was a bit of a revelation to me when I heard when I heard it back and I heard him singing it because I suddenly realised that that Brian's singing is of such a high standard that um, that that I hadn't I hadn't quite realised it until that point um, because and his vocal on that is just brilliant. There is a certain it just the two of you just sound like you're just enjoying being together. Well, recording this thing was it just a lovely experience to get in the studio with him? And it was. I mean, it it it, it was. It, it was. It was jolly good fun. Even mm. if even if he did even if he did bring his AC thirty in, 
Of course. Well, it's got to play loud. What's really lovely about that version is that it's got the positivity and upbeat feel that has actually always been in the lyrics. And in the the original Smile version, there's a sort of a a more mournful uh, sense of doing all right. It feels like maybe they're not quite yet doing all right, but there it feels like it's the song has sort of finally fulfilled its lyrics. Oh, that's an interesting point, actually. I mean, uh, uh, and I I, I understand what you mean. It's, it's It's the way that, it's the way that descending phrase feels really optimistic, doesn't it? It 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 uh, and and yet in the first, because in the first version we were we were all um, we were all adolescent adolescents with no confidence, and um, <laughs> oh, wow. I suppose that's reflected in the in the in the stumbling steps into songwriting. Um, now 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 that that it's not in question anymore. The, its validity as a song is not in question, so mm. it, one can relax into into the expression of it mm. uh, well it, I, I suppose that's i suppose that's fair comment anyway yeah. that's, that's a good it's a, it's a it's a good thing to um it's a good thing to consider that uh, yeah i don't mm. listen to the old version very much i mean the, <laughs> the first time i'd listened to it was was when i did the the, the movie you know mm. Um, yeah, how was that experience going back and because uh, you sort of ended up doing that almost in isolation, right? You were played by Tim Roth's son, did you know that? Jack? Yes, I did. Jack Roth, <laughs> what I, is that? I, That's I, pretty I, flattering. Yes, I, 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 I guess it was. I, I mean, um, uh, I, I didn't know anything about it until about a month beforehand and then it appears that what happened was uh, because they were trying to um, recreate the the smile sound. The raw material they were using were the record, recordings of um, uh, the Queen recordings, and plus a bit of the smile recording. But but the smile recording, having been done so long ago, was done, all that existed was a, was a quarter inch stereo or or whatever. There was it was it didn't exist. And because it was recorded analog, and it and uh, it, it, the masters were not no longer existed, um, so so the reason they called me in was because it was the the, the version they were coming up with, and the, which which was the original the original um, draft soundtrack that they sent me when they asked me to sing it. What it was just a bit too anodyne for for what Smile used to be, and they really needed to get back to the rawness, mm. a bit of the rawness that Smile mm. Mm. So, um, uh, who, who best to call but the oaf, who was, <laughs> <laughs> who was, who was the bloke in the, in the, in the first place? No, I mean, I think that's, uh, joking aside, I think that's, I think that's fairly accurate, that they wanted it to be a bit rougher. And, mm. and they, when I was in the studio, they asked me if I'd play bass on it as well. Yeah. So I so I did actually play bass on that track, and of course I'm no I'm not I'm no John Deacon, um, <laughs> uh, so so my bass line was really quite simple and visceral, but uh, it but it fulfilled the the brief, mm, and, yeah. and then they and then they ended up m- making a hybrid of my vocal, my bass playing, some of the uh, original backing vocals from Queen. And a bit of my vocal from the early uh, Smile version, and it all came together very well. And I thought it was a, actually a, a, a pretty good effort. 
Mm. Did you enjoy the movie? Yeah, very much. It's lovely, very much isn't it? so. I, I mean, why does it? Does it? Is 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 there? There must be a a, a a mixed body of opinion about whether or not the deviation from the strict timeline is acceptable. I know I've heard some sort of um, fans um, calling into question the, the you know the the veracity of the. I th I think the. The Queen fans are split into two halves mm. on on the film, uh, and those two halves are defined by people who know what a film is and people who know what a documentary <laughs> is. <laughs> but I, yeah. I mean, my my experience of watching it was the first time I watched it, the hairs stood up on my neck from beginning to end, mm. and once I'd had that experience, I didn't then want to go back and see all the things that, as an obsessive Queen fan, might <laughs> might annoy right. me. So I just I let myself stay with that initial reaction. I'm really glad I did. Yeah, I think it's fair enough. I mean, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, but well, I did have someone come up to me after the movie and say. But but hang on, you didn't leave like that, uh, the, you know. At the end, you you knew Freddie. You were friends with him, and and I said, yeah. Well, but but have you any idea what that time scale? If if it had been an accurate reflection, have you any idea what the time scale was between the first time I met Freddie in about '66 and when when I left the band in '69 and he and he moved across? I mean, we'd have had to have somehow. Somehow, I've done three or four years of of tedious time wasting to get <laughs> that point. Yeah. The film would have been fifty years long. Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and actually, I, I live in Ealing at the moment, so I'm actually zooming in from Ealing, and so it was, oh, okay. it, it, it was sort of having spent this bit of time looking at that era. It has tickled me that you guys were probably drinking in pubs right around the corner from me well, back in those indeed. days. I, went, I was, was in Ealing College just last summer, you know, or just oh, last really? autumn. Ah. Well, well, I, I I got invited to Japan on the strength of the of the. Um... I've seen that clip on YouTube of that little little yeah, group of one... beautiful audience that are just absolutely wrapped, and then they sing along just on the chorus. No. It looks like a wonderful experience. That it, it was. Well, after that, I after that I got invited to. To be the guest of honour at a Queen tour of, of, of London for Japanese tourists, oh. so I ended up going to the Grove Pub in Ealing one lunchtime, yeah, and being guest of honour around a table of about thirty-five lovely Japanese people. In fact, some <laughs> of them who'd been at that concert, some yeah. of them who'd actually been at that concert, um, and then we all went into Ealing College and wandered around a bit. And then came out again. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> honestly, I was really captivated by that little video. I watched it all the way through, and uh, it, you know, they obviously knew the stuff. It wasn't like that wasn't casual fandom, um, but also they didn't seem, you know, they seemed like right across the age, like the the demographics in young and old and middle aged. I know. And, would you sign this one? And oh, and by the way, this is my mum. <laughs> I know. I, I I don't know what to make of it because you'll appreciate that that this kind of scrutiny is is new to me. I've mm. not experienced this in my life. Um, uh, not until I was a pensioner. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I there's a good chance. There's a good chance I've. I've 
tend to let it go to my head a bit because <laughs> I haven't had the practice in accepting it with good grace. <laughs> and, um, uh, but, uh, but um, you know, it's, it has been quite fantastic. It, 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 it really has been. And especially the Japanese trip. trip. Uh, I, I, because they're, they're amazed at every little detail. They want to hear every little detail of mm. everything you ever did. Mm. And when they knew, because you know about the, that rather strange story about the fact that I, I sculpted the alien for the funny yeah, album. Yeah, I did want to ask you about that. Well, because you didn't realise for 10 years. I, I had no idea. I well, that a... means you didn't listen to Roger's solo album for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because um, and the thing is that the Japanese they wanted me to talk about that for God's sake well I do as well it's a brilliant alien (laughs) well well all right the story was that I when when I got over having to give up music because because it because it's a career that's potential career that's that that is really quite an egocentric occupation. Um, when you when you have the ability to 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 function in that career, your ego correspondingly takes a a bit of a bashing. And mine did when I had to finally give up. And I, you know, the fortunately because I'd been doing graphics and I was an artist of sorts, I was able to pursue a creative career after that but still I did feel very marginalized after having been you know a, a musician I had having been in the entertainment industry. and when I got the job as a as a, a special in special effects and TV special effects actually I, I that was kind of almost that was a that was a band-aid to my wounded ego uh, mm, it yeah. was I felt it was I felt oh this isn't a bad this is a this is a progressive career. I'm back in the entertainment industry. I'm using my creative skills and it's, and it's a bit more high profile than just being in the back drawing office doing illustrations for a mail order magazine, which is probably mm-hmm. what I would have been doing other than that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I was working in this, uh, um, uh, work, this workshop where this guy, this guy ran this workshop and he employed freelance model makers, freelance artists, freelance engineers all the time. And clients would come in the door and, uh, and if whoever was free would take on the next job. And it, the client this time, I think was hypnosis, the album yeah. people. And they wanted this alien. And the, 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 the story was that, um, that uh, Roger was reading this, the front photo, what it turned out to be, because I didn't know anything about this, it turned out to be that Roger was, on the front cover was reading a comic which had this alien as a um, illustration on the front of it. And the reverse of the album was the alien reading a comic with Roger on the front of it. So right, but right. I had no clue about that until about, I don't know, 10 years later, maybe, maybe less. I was at Roger's one bonfire night for a firework party and there on his mantelpiece was the alien. And <laughs> I mean, there was, there was a huge slapping noise as my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> and I just said, what are you doing with that? And, he, and it was then he said, it's, that's the alien off my cover of my album. And, and so I said, 
you'll never guess. <laughs> he, was, he, he didn't know either. So, you know, that was wow. extraordinary. Revelation. Wow. Yeah. What was his reaction when he found out you'd made it, though? He was probably less dumbstruck than I was. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah, well, because I think because... Um, because it was something that he'd something that it, it was a it was a PR solution that had been purchased for him by right. someone else um, and and consequently it hadn't occupied the same kind of um, focal uh, point in his life as the thing had to had in right. mind because I had actually yeah, yeah. physically created it you know yeah. and interpreted it so so it was kind of just was it was more central to my my brain than it was to his, really. What you said about um, the 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 bashing your ego took when you had to move away from music yeah. is really interesting because speaking as a I'm a stand-up comedian when I'm not making Queen podcasts, and <laughs> one thing that's fascinating about stand-ups and Suze will know this too because she's also a, a comedian. Of all of the thousands and thousands of people who become comedians very few of them retire they no, no matter what situation they find themselves in no one actually ever holds their hand up and goes I'm stopping and it's so rare because I think there is that ego involved and also because if you're creative it's not necessarily tied to your income just because you're a, no, a no, comedian okay, yeah. or a musician doesn't mean you stop being one when it no longer becomes the way that you can you know pay the mortgage or whatever yeah. So I wondered in that time when you stepped away from music, what your relationship was with, you must have been getting odd requests every so often, so obscure things to do with the Queen world. Yeah. What, that, sure. how, did you, how did you feel about those requests and sort of, I don't know, interviews or documentary clips in that time? Well, do you know, uh, do you know I think uh, that um, this has a lot to do with the fact that it's a generational thing, I think. Um, I, I am a, the child of post-Victorian parents. And in the late 70s or the mid 70s, there was, a, I'm sure there was greater pressure to conform to a conventional, um, a conventional uh, a benchmark of, 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 of a, a responsible working individual than there is now. That doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't exist. It just has a different characteristic. And I met my wife in 1973. So, and by about 1976 or seven, it, it, we clearly were not making ends meet. And so me leaving music was very much a pragmatic thing, but, it, but there was a degree of pressure from her, but it wasn't pressure that I tried to resist. It was, it was, it was understandable pressure, which, so, so I, I didn't really, I, it, it was, um, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. If you see, I I had didn't have much choice in I didn't have much choice in in doing what I did, and I was looking to, to, to somehow mitigate mitigate my my beaten ego. But as the to get to the point of your question, um, when when I was I was con I did I was contacted by various people. Um, uh, I always remember one such was. Um, uh, I was contacted by George Tremlett, who was the 
Tory housing minister on, on the Greater London Council at that time, and because he was also a pulp biographer, and he was writing a, an early biography of Queen. Now, you might say, what, that early on? <laughs> well, the, but the point was, it was a PR scam. You, 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 you create a biography, and the perception of the public is that, oh, they must be important enough to have a biography right. written about them. So you, you get a cheap biography written, you bung it out in paperback, and the people see it and think, that, and, and that increases the prestige, the kudos of the... So that he interviewed me for that, and, I, and he was actually very respectful of me. And, uh, and actually, that was, that was a bit of germaline on the battered ego, mm. really. Mm. And it, there was a mixture. I mean, sometimes I felt, sometimes I felt marginalised, very marginalised, and sometimes I felt still part of it. If mm. that answers what answers your question, yeah, very much so. Superb yeah. answer, really interesting. I went on and on, didn't I? There, Not no, that no. was. Well, I, I was, I was going to say because I, um, uh, I'm a singer and I can't imagine stopping singing if no. I, even if I left the industry. And you uh, had and have this fantastic voice. Um, when you sort of decided to follow a different path did you stop singing at that point no i mean i what i had to I, okay i've never stopped writing i've never stopped performing never stopped singing but obviously it had to go on the back burner mm. um and uh and and the next you know the years until until i started to record again properly my own material were were a mixture of um working in the film business, um, raising a family, uh, doing the bit, doing whatever music I could with some local bands, scratch bands, musicians that I knew, um, d doing the odd solo gig, um, you know, a, a, just a, a mess of, a mess of, of creative activity to try and make ends meet and, mm -hmm. um, and, and just keep things together. That that's that's really that's really what what happened there. Uh, Did you notice a difference in that time when you're working with lots of different bands and gigging in different venues? Did you notice a difference in the scene from the sort of mid to late sixties and say the the seventies and eighties? Because when when you're reading about bands like Smile retrospectively it seems like every single person in london was in a massive rock band <laughs> and they were all sort of yeah, yeah. hanging out with pink floyd and jimi hendrix and then the beatles would pop by and david <laughs> bowie would be there but it can't have been like that there must have been more people in bands that didn't go on than ones that did but well uh, it's, it's, it's funny there's a it's a double-sided question that i mean one of one side of it is that one side of it is that what's always puzzled me about about the, the 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 continual um queen have always given me a name check uh, which i'm deeply yeah. grateful for and it, it it's you know and it's helped it's it's helped me financially as well as as well as emotionally i have to say over the years um um but the, the but the, the the downside of the antithesis of that is the fact that every band that ever became famous has got a bloke who left just before they <laughs> 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 So what makes me 
any more special to 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 Joe Soap, who who was the singer in Deep Purple before they got famous or something, <laughs> you know. So there's that side of it. Uh, the other side of it is that one of the reasons I left, and and I have to be careful about this because you see. You, you see, I was I was really clearly moving into a different, a different. I had a, I was going a different way. Well, I was going on a different path, and one of the things I did soon after leaving Smile was I went to America. I spent about four four or five months in America. Um, that was in the late seventy, late nineteen seventy, and uh, I, I had had a bit of an epiphany while I was in America, and it was simply that. I rather like the way the Americans make music. And you would think, or at least the people I was with, I liked the way the people I was with were making music. I mean, there may not be that much difference, but um, I, I, I kind of got seduced into the jazz, the blues and jazz world, if you like. And what the effect of that was that it, it tarnished my ability to maintain a contact with the scene that I'd left in Britain when I went there. So when I came back to Britain, I was on a different railroad. Mm -hmm. I was actually on a different railroad. Uh, uh, I, what, one of the things that happened while I was in, in the States was that the first Raikuda album was released. And that for me was, that was an absolute game changer. I mean, I don't, I can't think of one album in my life that has made more, had more of an effect on me than the first Raikuda album. Wow. Um, since then, I've been, I, I've, I've had more albums, different albums that have blown my socks off. Um, uh, but, but the first Raikuda album was, it was almost like, it was almost like my 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 body chemistry changed hmm. you know uh, that's amazing that you mentioned Raikuda because he left Captain Beefheart's band when they Captain Beefheart had taken so much acid that he fell off the stage and Raikuda I think at about 18 or 19 just after they'd recorded uh, Safe as Milk the first Captain Beefheart album went yeah that's not for me so you, you, you felt a kinship with his first solo album after he had left a band that were going in a direction he didn't want to go in. Well, maybe that's, maybe there's something <laughs> subliminal about that uh, uh, because I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I, or, or I think I might have been aware of it, but not in quite the same terms. Uh, uh, but, but certainly it, it really, it really was. A, um, and then, and, and the, and the, the proof of that is that, for the, during that period, seventy three to seventy or seventy to seventy five, I did a lot of solo gigs on my own with a guitar here and there, pubs, clubs, cafes, and a good fifty percent of my repertoire was Raikuda. Wow! That's wow. something I've been sort of conscious of that a lot of bands when they they started, what they were struggling with was that sort of balancing of fulfilling their artistic desires but also having to treat it as a business because it is a business yeah. do, you, do yeah. you were you sort of conscious that the business side of it may be taking away the the fun side of it for you because i know brian has spoken about his time with smile as being a really good education on the pitfalls of 
a recording contract and the expectations that come with that. Did, did you find that particularly difficult to deal with those kind of that, that side of it? If, if I were to, I'd, you might have to cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. But, but if, if I were to say that the smile logo was an illustration of insincerity, <laughs> would, would that surprise you? Uh, 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 it, it, because the 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 obsequious grin with the sparkle was the way I equated music, the the hateful music business. Um, so, so the smile logo is ironic. Um, How interesting! Ir ironic insincerity, uh, yeah. and and. Uh, uh, but it, but hopefully people don't see it as that. They just see it as a nice picture that depicts a, an era that you know that that had some promise for them. Yeah. I, I know I sort of see that now. I do I do see that now. I, it's no it's no longer a. Um, um, it doesn't mean what it did to me then. But that's why I drew it in the first place. You know. It certainly looks like a sort of. Um, it always struck me as an angry version of that sort of Rolling Stones lips. You know that kind of brand, attack on branding. Well, it was two years way. before the Stones. Mm. Oh right. Well, they ah, copied you then. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so <laughs> I, I don't want to be accused of any kind of plagiarism. You know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not that I won't plagiarise um, <laughs> as much as the next person, but not that. <laughs> What was it actually like in those days? Did you guys kind of, because you were pretty young, were you guys taking yourselves very seriously or was there just a load of laughing and hanging out? La yeah, it was a hybrid. It really was a hybrid of, 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 um, of, of you know, taking ourselves seriously and, um, and, and a lot of raucous laughter, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 um, and a bit of... Uh, 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 and, and plenty of alcohol and plenty of weed. I mean, well, you can cut that out, but I mean, but, you know, it was true. We did. We, well, actually, I don't think Brian and I don't think Brian and Roger um, particularly uh, partook of the weed, but I did, and that and that might have had some that might have had some um, bearing on on why I was moving into this kind of the kind of in, the world of improvisation because that's really what I've done over my life is that I've I've tried to make I've tried to make my music more more improvisational than than well because Queen of sophisticated band you know that they work hard at the at the parameters of what they do it's it's crisp it's professional it's slick you know I I've not ever been in that situation I I don't mean to say that I can't achieve that Kind, the kind of quality but but I come from a different I'm on a different road mine my road is the road of improvisation and playing something a lot and just getting into the vibe and the groove you know and, and I don't think that's what they do they don't do mm -hmm. it that way they're, mm. they're, they're more of a they're kind of they're a musical band um oh I mean a musicals band they they you know I spent the last 10 years of my life teaching at a uh, theatre Academy. Oh really? Right. Which one? Mount View. Oh, oh yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, I, 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 not just anyone, the one. <laughs> I was a head of construction at, 
at Mount View from, I see. from 2004 to 2014. So I was teaching set design basically, um, right. uh, and a bit of bit of uh, graphics and stuff. Um, but but I I I felt as though there was more, and I met met loads of MDs for bands that were doing the musicals, mm. and I used to build the musicals with the students, and we did loads of stuff, loads of really good stuff, um, and. Uh, and I kind of got the sense that the way Brian and Roger and Freddie approached the construction of what they did had more akin to musical theatre than than it did to rock and roll. I, I hope that isn't a. I hope that is not that I'm a not that I'm a an uh, authority on rock and roll. I'm not. I'm more of an authority on improvised blues, perhaps. Well, I think so, uh, something that you said that really rings true is that if you're into jazz and blues the challenge that jazz and blues musicians have is how do we capture this live genre on an LP whereas with Queen I think the challenge is more how do we turn this LP into a live experience so you've got two you've got sort of two diametrically opposed things because jazz is not about LPs really that's a really interesting uh that's a really interesting observation, actually. You're quite right. You're quite right. It's the it's it's the the yin and yang of music in some mm. ways. And mm. neither is right. Neither is better. It's no, just no, a totally different. They're they're wired yeah. differently. Yeah, quite. I mean, I have. I do. I mean, I've. I I. Well, I don't struggle. I mean, I've got. Like I say, I've, I will now have at the end of next year, providing I survive, and providing I. Um, providing I don't catch the dreaded lure guy um, and I can get this third out, I'll have three albums of original material mm. and in each case all of that material started life as a as a kind of improvised um, that's not to say I, I, I need to I need to make this clear that's not to say that I don't that I that I reject the idea of structure in songs I don't I, I really embrace the idea of structure in songs which is one of the reasons why i in my view the greatest band that has ever existed is steely dan um because mm. they to me are the absolute apotheosis of structure and jazz mm. uh, uh, john probably something probably like that the, the it's the they are, they are they are the they are the, the the hybrid of what you're describing the two mm. sides of it that you're describing uh, they do both uh, the, the only thing they don't do is they don't seem to do a lot of new music so <laughs> so probably um it's well, maybe that's not quite fair but but probably they, they they've developed this way of producing albums and producing them live and yet producing them as with more of a jazz flavour and more improvisational. Um, this is this is really going to annoy Roe, and I hope he doesn't m make. Oh, is it Frank? Okay. Do you like Frank Zappa? Oh, for God's <laughs> sake! Because I, no, I always I, I love I love Frank Zappa, but I keep mentioning him on a Queen podcast. He's one of my heroes. <laughs> it's unbelievable! That we can't get through an episode without Frank Zappa coming. <laughs> Come on, uh, I, then. I I I I. I I've always loved Zappa. Yeah. Very word goes. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, fine. Although you do know that moment, Tim, where you said you think the greatest band ever was Steely Dan. We're just going to 
lift where you said Queen earlier on and just drop that in over that bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with suggesting that Queen were a theatrical band. I don't think they always were. No, no, oh, no. Yeah. And also, there's nothing, um, there's nothing offensive about saying no, something's musical theatre-esque. Like, no. Sometime is one of the great songwriters of all time. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, uh, well, absolutely. Good heavens. Uh, um, yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, I mean, I... And Cole Porter, I love yeah. Porter and and Gershwin and and, mm. and all of that. You know, yeah. I mean, if, if anything, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid one of the things that's been my downfall is the fact that I I really like every every genre of music in the world. <laughs> actually, you know, if I was on the desert island, um, if I had to go on desert island discs, which is about as likely as snow in hell. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, my answer to what discs would I take would be, oh, well, that's easy, the, the, the 12 albums of Beethoven piano sonatas, because that's Lovely. all I'd ever need. Yeah, that's yeah. all anybody ever needs. Yeah. Because all music is in those 12 yeah. albums. Right, right, yeah. right, fair enough. Um, I, just, I just was wondering if you actually still... So I actually had a look at... So I, I'm fortunate, I, I had a, a, a Japanese import of the Smile album when I was a kid on LP. Yeah. And my mum got rid of it in a jumble sale, which has meant I haven't spoken to her for a very long time. Um, <laughs> uh, so I actually looked up sort of, if you include the LPs and the CDs, the average price on eBay for uh, uh, for a replacement copy is going to set you back around 120 quid. If it's an LP, you're going to be paying a lot more than that. Um, I was also looking at um, Ghosts of a Spy. You can barely find those. And there was supposed to be the US single of Earth, which is just not available anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious as to whether you own any of this stuff still, or is it stuff that you don't have anymore? Is that? Is I don't that... have the um, I don't have the Smile single, although I'm someone. I know someone sent me one the other the other day yeah. to um to to autograph it and I uh, and I autographed it and sent it back. Oh. Oh, actually no, well they didn't send it to me here. I did it at the Queen Convention uh, oh, at yeah. Skegness. That's right. Yeah, they had it with them. I mean, but it must be. I mean, That's talk about hen's teeth. Uh, I mean, mm. um, oh, yes, I've got a copy of Getting Smile, the Japanese vinyl. Yeah, yeah. And I got a couple of copies of ghost of a smile around um but i don't have much else oh well i've got it all digitally yeah you know. has there ever been talk of an official proper this is the album remastered re uh, release no but there probably ought to be didn't there i mean i can't see how it couldn't be possible in terms of remastering and and digitizing and um and cleaning it up. I, I mean, if that if if it's a technical issue, I, I don't know that that's that's a, a an objection. And I I remember before um, before they did, we will rock you. There was and the, I was what's their archivist's name? Is it Greg? Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I was talking to Greg. They were going to produce a box set history of going from the early smile days. Mm -hmm right to whenever that whenever it was just just well and probably only 10 years ago before we were rock and then and that they and they sidelined it and put the energy into we will rock you and so the box set got pushed to one side now whether that's ever going to be re, re resurrected um 
because I think it would include a remastered um, version of the Smile album. Well, certainly there was some talk that they would also use the, the strange version of Silver Salmon that, that they did. At I wanted to ask you about that. Did you write that track? Because yeah. I found it when I was doing the research for this. extemporized it heavily when they recorded it as in they changed the arrangement on it and stuff or yeah. and how yes they... <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah, to the they... point where it offends you <laughs> <laughs> no and i the story about silver salmon is that um is that in the early days in the in the in the sort of late 60s um there was a there was a general malaise in in bands at the number of 12 bars, 12 bar blueses that were being played and and the number of uh, covers that people were doing of, of different material. And so it, it was beginning to become incumbent on everybody to write their own material. So everybody was, and that's not something that everybody can do. I mean, it's it's actually quite difficult to, to make the transition. I and mean, once you've done it once or twice, it becomes easier clearly, but everybody was quite determined to write and so I, I, I was fortunate enough really to be working with Brian and Brian and I had written Step On Me during the 1984 years mm. and we wrote Doing All Right in the Smile years and and I think this was generally this was generally um, the, the, the time when the time when we were all beginning to find our feet writing wise because I then wrote Earth and uh, and several other songs, um, in fact, and and Silver Salmon was one of them. Uh, and I'd actually never pursued Silver Salmon. I've just put it to sleep for 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 years. And the next I heard of it was that that Queen had done a version of it at, in a rehearsal w somewhere once, and um, and uh, which was uh, extraordinary to me, very extraordinary, because I hadn't really thought much about the song except occasionally over the sort of three or four decades since I'd heard it. Have, have you heard the version of it? Yes, I have, yeah. It what do is, you think of it? Well, it is, um, it is a bit, uh, it, it kind of meanders a bit. Mm. Um, it, 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 the song as I envisaged it was, was a bit more verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Right, uh, and and I've got the second. Yeah, and they and they, what they don't know is <laughs> what they uh, what they don't know is. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually got it here. Someone sent me a, a, um, a JPEG of a piece of paper from a telephone notepad or something from back in the day, which has the second verse on it. 
and they never they didn't they didn't have that second oh, oh, the missing piece the missing piece of the puzzle yeah. that's, that's really funny awesome that is an amazing story um i was gonna ask you a little bit about because you mentioned 1984 there and at hampton school mm. you know you had paul stewart with the others right mm -hmm. and uh, yourself and brian in 1984 mm -hmm. and it seems you know and you you've continued working with those guys ever since you must be what 15 16 years yeah, old when you started yeah. those bands up. Yeah. what was it about the scene at hampton school that kind of created those lifetime bonds well i don't know i mean um the thing is there were two major bands at ealing at, uh, at hampton. hampton one yeah. was 1984 uh, which was myself, Brian, uh, John Garnham, who I'm still in contact with, um, Dave Dillaway, who sadly passed, and uh, Richard Thompson, the drummer, who also sadly passed. Um, and, and we used to gig regularly at the Thames, Thames Boat Club, Vesta Boat Club in Putney. We had a regular gig there every other Saturday, I think it was, uh, and lots of other gigs as well. But then there was the others, who were the other main Hampton band, and the, the difference really was that 1984 were a covers band. There's no getting away from it. And we used to have a slightly whimsical, tongue-in-cheek stage act. Um, and we, 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 we tried to be entertainers, I think. The others are a bit more serious than that. They were, a, they, I know um, Paul and Rob wouldn't mind if I described them as a Stones clone because they were. I mean, they even visually looked a bit like the Stones. And, um, and, that, and that actually, at, at that time, they were a better band. They were, they were, they were a better band musically. Um, and when they had Peter Hamilton in as guitar player, I mean, if, I shouldn't possibly, I don't know whether it should, I mean, Peter Ham, Brian got a lot of licks off Peter Hamilton in those early days. You know, Peter Hamilton was, was he was our, our hero. Um, uh, he 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 had it. Peter had issues. I mean, I, he, but he was a very very uh, very fast, very dexterous guitar player, and um, and I mean he was almost one of the first. You know, he, he Brian and him probably were the two were the two best guitarists within a fifty mile radius. Um, and it's probably not surprising to find two people feeding off each other. Mm. in a situation mm. like that because it, you, you might even consider that it drove each other's excellence you know and also i think people need to bear in mind that around the time you're talking the electric guitar as a solo instrument was this is this has not been around for a long time at all so mm. it's not like now when you talk about the best guitarist in 50 miles from here there may be 10,000 of them you're talking about people who what they're doing could quite easily be done for the first time on an instrument yeah. uh, absolutely the bloke next door is a much better guitar player than I am <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's very true that is very very true one one can't factor out the, the the idea that um that this has been a journey you know this has been an evolving journey mm. and uh, uh, and you know um uh, uh, back in the day before five years before um five years before 1984 what were we talking about we were talking about the stump first stumbling steps of hank marvin we were talking mm. about burt whedon um mm. There were some great players around at that time. I suppose I'm thinking of 
people like Scotty Moore, uh, Elvis Presley's guitar player, and um, and others whose whose dexterity and skill didn't owe as much to rock and roll as later players did, but it was I probably owed more to country music. You come across people all the time, and uh, uh, who, who you don't know, who, who they suddenly say to you, they let's say, "Oh yeah, I play guitar too." Oh, do you really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, were there were there other shared interests that you and Brian had other than music? Because I mean, you you were you were friends, you know, for yeah, I have been friends for a long, awfully long time. It's a very very good question. I mean, I've been the armchair wing of astronomy, where Brian <laughs> has been the professional. I've always been I've always been a total astronomy nut myself. Right. And um, uh, and and I mean, but mine is limited to um, uh, reading about it and and looking at pictures and absorbing the absorbing the discipline from a layman's point of view. And Brian is obviously clearly um, you, you know has a professional dimension to to his. Mm. So yeah, but yeah, that was a, we definitely were both um, we were both uh, uh, we we had this association which which did have astronomy as a joint. A joint interest, yeah, and, and also, presumably science fiction as well, because I mean, yeah. 1984 is a, you know, alludes to the book. And well, interestingly, the name 1984 was was given to the band by um, by Dave Dillaway, who was the bass player. Ah. Um, um, <laughs> before it became 1984, the the name of the band, and I wasn't in it then. It was before I joined. The name, but the name of the band was the Mind Boggles, <laughs> which, I actually, which I actually think is possibly the best band name that's ever existed. <laughs> but, um, but I think what the reason they rejected that was that people um, that they were a bit afraid that people would think that that the Mind Boggles was a noun and an adjective rather than a verb and an adverb, because. Um, <laughs> Uh, because uh, they, the, the, the act of boggling, I think, was something that people didn't really see as having much of a rock and roll um, <laughs> association. That is brilliant. I love that. Uh, and obviously it was uh, you and Brian that uh, put that little advert out uh, to get one Mr Roger Taylor involved absolutely. with you guys and then go on massive jaunts down to Cornwall. Yeah, absolutely. What? What was sort of meeting Roger for the first time as a pair of you? Were you just sort of like in a room and then walks Roger and then just starts banging on these drums? You're like, yeah, fine. Absolutely right. You're not a million miles away from the truth. I can't remember exactly where it was in a flat summer. I think we were in a basement of a flat somewhere in Shepherd's Bush, and we and Brian had put an advert on the on the um, student union notice board at Imperial. And Roger had seen it, or someone had seen it, and and let Roger know. And he turned up one day with a drum kit, set it up downstairs in this basement, and we we had we thrashed away. And the thing, well, I think, what we were um, what we were blown away by is that Roger was always a very flamboyant drummer, uh, and um, and he, you know he'd, he'd, he we'd never seen a drummer stand up on the bass drum pedal at the same time as hitting the cymbal and then dampening the singles, the cymbal straight away. I mean, I think Brian and I were, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we were hooked. 
immediately. <laughs> wow. But was there a sort of a, a personality thing as well where you all kind of immediately gelled? Because it sounds like as you went round the place, you enjoyed each other's company quite a bit. But that, yeah, I don't yeah, know if that's true. We did, and it was a, it was a, but it was a very, um, we weren't three peas in a pod. We were a kind of a triangle of, triangle of associated personalities that each had, we each had an affinity with, a, a different affinity with each other. I mean, my connection with Roger was such that we were both, we were both a bit more irreverent than Brian was, but my relationship with Brian was had a kind of a semi-serious aspect to it. it as as you refer to the astronomy connection we we kind of had this we were kind of we kind of had a schoolboy schoolboy philosophers if you like and then hmm. and then rod roger's relationship with brian was different again but but in but in each case they were they were very positive relationships and i don't think we ever had any we used to have some tension but it was very superficial. I have a feeling that 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 that, that when Freddie joined and when John joined, um, they that was a little bit more volatile than Smile had ever been. Right. Um, uh, but you could also say that 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 very volatility was what 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 energised the creative process. And in actual fact, one of the reasons why Smile didn't get, get much further was that actually we were quite comfortable with each other mm. you know i don't know that may not be a fair comment at all but it's uh, really really interesting um do you know what we i don't know if you've ever done this i don't know if it's something that you're interested in doing particularly and it's fine if, if, if you don't um but we thought you know we think you've probably got a couple of favorite tracks off the Smile album, and we were just wondering if you fancied listening to it a bit with us. I don't know whether it was the last time you even listened to them, and maybe just um, give us some insights musically that we might not have. Yeah. You know, me as a layman, just as a consumer of this wonderful stuff. Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the, you know, um, what John said earlier about remastering as always, about, you know, re-recording the Smile album has always been a bit of a puzzle to me because the because the only reason I would not listen, but I have listened on and off over the years. Mm. Um, and of course, it, it, I was involved in the publishing of the Ghost of a Smile um, mm. CD. Um, but uh, I, I wish, you know, I just wish it was remastered. I'd love to hear it. I, 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 had, I have this Russian friend who, who managed to get hold of the Humpy Bond single, digitise it and clean it up so that it sounds totally plausible now but i really feel that the smile album needs that that same treatment doing to it but i mean by all means play whatever you like oh, amazing and, um, mm. well i mean it's worth saying that after this podcast obviously we're going to get smile remastered <laughs> we're going to get uh, <laughs> we're going to get silverfish sorted right out with a stack of verse and we're going to get uh, George Orwell's book renamed The Mind Boggles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get your Desert Island Disc. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, I thought one of the songs, I, I mean, I, 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 oh, actually, I've got a tiny question before we do this, which yeah. is, uh, it's never really been clear which out of the two of you and Brian might have written Polar Bear. Oh, it was Brian. It was it Brian. It was Brian. It, well, okay. I, I didn't have any input in that at all. Um, 
and and the same way the earth was mine entirely you know um yeah right okay um well uh, a song that i absolutely adore and uh, uh uh is is step on me i i think it's just a just a banging track mm. uh and it feels almost like it could be a massive hit now <laughs> yeah. it's just a really good pop record so yeah. I thought I'd start that. I'm not going to start it right at the very beginning um but I will uh, I will start it a few a few seconds in just to get to the sort of section that I, I like the most really <laughs> 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 in my voice but uh, uh I thought we'd listen to a bit of that It's just, it's just a, a such a perfect, you know. It felt like that. That could and should have been like a, a decent hit. You know, you know, I'm a, I wince when I hear that. I just remember <laughs> because I'm singing out of tune. I, I'm out of tune. Not at all. I'm I don't hear that. Out of tune. It, 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 I just hope if they do remaster it, they can separate that out and stick it through the old vocoder and just put it up about a quarter tone. <laughs> <laughs> you're, but you're like me. I hear myself back singing and go, oh, you are disgusting. But I, and I can be a real <laughs> asshole about uh, singing, but I've always thought your voice is awesome. So well, that's fangirling I'm, a bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'm humbled. I'm really humbled. <laughs> But when that, but that bit there, what that step on me, step on me, <laughs> pump it up, boys. <laughs> I always wanted to ask. So you you mentioned earlier that sort of um, getting grouped in with all of the people who left bands before they went on to be good, <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. sort of big. Yeah. I, I always wondered if you ever thought. Why do why do people keep asking me if I could have been the lead singer of Queen? Why didn't they ask me if I could have been the bassist? Well, yeah. Uh, uh, well, actually, I've what I've always said. To, what I've always said. People have said, "Oh, ah, oh, poor you, poor <laughs> you." Is you know that's often the case. You know, poor oh, poor you. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet if you'd have known, I bet you. What do you think about having made that dreadful decision? And I and I, and I keep and I'm always saying, but but. but but it wasn't a dreadful decision because it wasn't a choice in those days. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't as if someone came to me and said, look, if you stay, you're going to be in a band that makes a billion dollars. If you go, you'll be out in the cold for the rest of your life. Um, so it wasn't as if there was a clear cut choice. I mean, I was doing what I had to do. But people often say, what if you had stayed? Could you have stayed? And my answer is not really. Um, because the only thing I could have been was that was the um, was the bass player. I could have been the bass player, probably. I could have stayed as the bass player, but I, then I would have been 
the backing, uh, backing, you know, a support singer to Freddie. Mm -hmm. But would I have? How would I have felt being support singer to Freddie? Mm. Well, undeniably brilliant though Freddie is. I, at that time, I was really trying hard to hang on to my own belief in myself as a as, as a as a competitor to Freddie. If you see what mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I had to I had to have that um, that illusion, even if time uh, didn't, um, even even if time proved proved that that I wasn't adequate, you know. Um, so so I couldn't have stayed because. I couldn't have stayed because, because of, I suppose, because of my ego. That's incredibly honest answer. But I think what yeah. was, is great is now is that we can look back with the benefit of hindsight and this 50 years of history and so forth. And I think every Queen fan knows that Queen could not have existed without Smile. I mean, yeah. th that's, yeah. that's the thing. And so you are indelibly part of that massive story and, and a key, key element. And um, I think all Queen fans are incredibly grateful. I'd feel a lot more comfortable with with all this if Freddie was still alive. Oh, yeah. Because uh, because mm. I, um, uh, because I could because sometimes I wonder whether I've overstepped the mark if I'm being interviewed or if I'm talking to people about it. Sometimes I wonder whether my input is as I don't want to I don't want to to, to I don't want to overplay whatever role it is I have. And if Freddie was alive, I could run it past him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I could I could see whether I could see whether I was I don't know whether I'm behaving in the best possible taste or not. It's important to me that I do that, that I don't I don't sully Freddie's memory or 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 behave in bad taste in this uh, in this circumstance. I'm d desperately grateful for the attention and 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 now since the movie for the for the uh, for the the, the the income which it's brought me which has you know been very, extremely welcome especially during the pandemic yeah. um but you know it still is a there is still i still have a degree of reflection about what, what how i should be handling all this well know? at the very least you know it's it's you and freddie that met at ealing art college and he would have been introduced to you guys if it, if it wasn't for you anyway right i mean well, I, he was your mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 quite. I mean, I suppose, yeah, I know that's, I know all that's true. There's an awful lot of arseholes in this world and I don't want to be one of them. Well, Speaking as someone who's a Queen fan and who has never met you before, you have spoken with such sensitivity and um, very eloquently about your time and you, you could have been the most deverish it should all be about me person in the world and we would probably have accepted that but you've, you've spoken so graciously and so interestingly about your, your time and your experience and your insights that I think anyone listening to this would be over the moon to have an opportunity to hear what you've said. Can I tell you a joke? Oh, you'll yeah. know this joke. You'll know this joke, but it, and it's it has, and I'm sure it's old hat. But I always thought it was very funny. How many actors does it take to change a light bulb? Go on. Go for it. Uh, Fifty. One to change a light bulb, and forty-nine to say it should have been me up there. <laughs> <laughs> Very poignant. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. What happened yeah. happened, but um, you know, you are part of that DNA. There's no getting away from it. And yeah. and, and I think there is an enormous amount of affection, for, you know, for, for for and interest in what you do. You know, it's, yeah. it's exciting yeah. that you're putting a new album together and. 
Yeah. Uh, that's how you've been spending lockdown. I think that's fantastic. That the, mm. the idea that the music that's been part of your life since those days in Hampton School is delivering you through this process. Us doing this podcast actually has been a huge tonic for us during during yeah. these times. So actually, <laughs> suddenly I didn't know what to there. expect, but I've had great. I've had wonderful fun this afternoon. Oh, oh thank you so much. It's oh, been so it's lovely. Been great. It's been um, great. So much fun. I can't tell you how. You know, and we were so excited when when you came yeah. back. And went, yeah, why not? Uh, but didn't know what to expect, and you've turned out to be just the most delightful raving idiot. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you do finish your, your music, Tim, where, where will we be able to, to get it? Where will it, where will it uh, well, it'll go, it'll go up onto, um, uh, well, providing I can find someone to press it. I mean, I'll press a few copies myself, um, uh, but it'll be on Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Uh, is that timstuffle.bandcamp.com? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, I, I also ought to point out i've just forgotten that just before this pandemic started paul stewart and i had completed uh and had completed our own album because paul paul stewart and i uh, had been working together for about a decade now and we'd finally completed our own album which is called how high right uh, okay. and that's available on Bandcamp as well Okay, um, and, uh, it's all on Spotify. Is that part of the sort of steaming pro project? Was yes, it? yeah, it is. Lovely. I mean, it was basically Big Steam was the others revisited. Little Steam was the unplugged wing of Big Steam. Sure. And then we uh, dumped the steam. The ste whole steam thing lost pressure, so <laughs> so we <laughs> we became Tim Staffel and Paul Stewart, and we had a. Uh, we just got a rhythm section and just been playing gigs around here until we can't play we're not allowed to play gigs anymore so <laughs> uh, well, well, I did do a gig at the weekend oh yeah oh, on my too. own ah. at, at Loxwood in in Surrey I I they've got a drive-in movie they have oh, drive-in yeah. movies yeah. there and I did and they were showing Bo Rap and I did a personal appearance just before oh, they showed how, the movie. Oh, how wonderful. Did that go down well? Was everyone beeping their horns and all that nonsense? Yes, yes, indeed they were. So fun. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. There's a film of it on my Facebook. Have a, have a look. Yeah, definitely. Oh, oh Tim, I don't want to it's stop, to be honest, but it's been <laughs> so lovely spending this afternoon with you. Uh, and I'll say to our listeners, um, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you want us to uh, field any questions out to tim down the line you can email us queenpod at the queenpodcast.com yeah uh, and uh, uh you know please do slap some likes on and uh, leave us some reviews so that we can continue speaking to some wonderful people from from music actually and and modeling you know stay in touch uh, we uh, will you know any, anything you want uh, I'm happy to join in. Oh, bless you, Tim. Oh. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, we all look forward to a time where we can maybe get in a room and watch you play live again. That would be so lovely. That yeah. would be great fun, yeah. Uh, Thanks, so it just Tim. remains for me to say uh, goodbye great. from Tim Staffel. Actual Tim Staffel. There you go. <laughs> what a legend. He was Brilliant. just so charming. And mm. you can always tell someone really nice because when they say you'll have to cut this out, you think, oh, they're about to be really mean. And everything he said after saying you'll have to cut this out was perfectly sweet and fine and yeah. completely acceptable. And, yeah. I, and I really, I sort of almost got slightly emotional towards Same. the end when he was talking about, you know, worrying about his 
legacy and his whether mm. he's sort of judged the tone right in interviews he's done and I think anyone listening to that would agree that he's just come across as such a sweet unassuming man um, mm. and what a what a pleasure it was mm. to speak to him and Suze I mean you, you, mm. you've talked a lot about what a fan of his voice you are mm. and yet any time you kind of tried to push him on it he was like so I know <laughs> yeah he didn't he, he's, he's not enough of a show off to go yes thank you I had a magnificent <laughs> upper range didn't I yeah he uh, all, the only thing he did say about his voice was oh I sound so out of tune <laughs> so I know. Well, yeah and he doesn't <laughs> yeah so yeah well, it's interesting because when when we did the the <clears throat> It's interesting because when we did the smile listening episode, we did mention that he's kind of at the top of his register, and he is exactly yeah. what he was saying. Yes. You wouldn't see it on yeah. the podcast, but he was miming, mm. sort of Pump it hands up, going yeah. up to the top of yeah. his throat. <laughs> yeah. I sort of want him to be my dad. He's <laughs> 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 so cuddly and lovely, and I do look forward to a time when we're all in a room together to do this. Actually. Same, yeah. Um, because, you know, to have been in a room with him, I don't think I'd have stopped hugging him, actually. It would have got very okay. awkward. <laughs> you must have had that question so many times, you know, do you regret leaving the band or are you sorry left yeah. the band? But it was just so lovely to hear. He's totally at ease with that. He, he you know, yes. he made all those decisions based on what he needed to do at the time and he's got no regrets over that. And I think that's great. I mean, it's almost like we can always leave him alone now. <laughs> just, uh, well, you know. And also, we never asked him any of those questions. No, no, right? no. He, no. He volunteered No, that we're in... probably the first people to interview him who yeah. haven't. <laughs> and as ever, the, the most interesting uh, answers he gave were to questions that he probably gets asked very rarely. Yeah. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, it was fascinating to hear him talk about his own musical journey and... Um, the other projects he's worked on and the little sort of coincidences and accidents of, of his, his life in music and outside of music, mm. um, which, you you know, if if you go and ask someone like that, oh, what was Freddie like? They kind of, they probably go, oh, this question yeah. again. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it was very moving when, it, when, when, when he yeah. was discussing that, that, that sort of respect for the fact that he's, Freddie's not available to for him to run yeah. stuff past and mm. you know because it's easy to forget that for him you know the loss of freddie wouldn't have just been i didn't want to ask this because this Mm-mm. is maybe a bit too personal but it's not the loss of a musical icon or a hero it's the loss of loss of yeah. his mate yeah or, you know his teenage friend mm. yeah. and it's a much more personal loss than you know the loss of a uh, someone on a poster or someone on an mm. album cover yeah, which is what you're all going to feel soon if I don't start riding my bicycle a little bit more. Because <laughs> this lo- lockdown is doing, it's just turning me into a lot of butter. Um, so until next time, folks, uh, it's goodbye from us, John, Sue, Simon, and me, Ro. Goodbye. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye.